Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Wood Talk Online, a podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Spagnolo and Matt Vanderlis, and maybe somebody else. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 23 for Wednesday, November 21st, 2007. I'm Mark Spagnolo. Yes, and I'm Tom Iovino. I am Tom Turkey, by the way. Tom Turkey. If you have a question, you'd know it. If you have a question or a comment, you can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or leave us a message, area code 623-242-2450. How you doing, Mark? I am very well. It is it is Turkey Week, and I'm going to overuse that tonight. I can tell you that I, right I can, away. I can tell you're on your way to doing it. <laughs> I, I see turkey coma in my future. <laughs> yeah, nothing like uh, nothing like a bunch of goblin turkeys to get your night going. Definitely, that's the way to that's the way to do things. So, you guys getting ready for the holiday? What's going on now? Well, you know, we're we're starting to cook and we're we're starting to get things ready and peeled and sliced and diced and julienned and yep. make mountains of coleslaw. Wonderful. Um, but the one project, the one project I was uh, looking into and I actually finished in time was my uh, my dining room table. Yes, yes, I rather saw that. Rather than just rather than just serve the turkey, <laughs> I had to create a new dining room table to serve the turkey on. As, as well. if it wasn't challenging enough not to burn the turkey, you need to to build a table. I like to build my level of anticipation higher. There you go. You know, I, I can't get stressed enough just wondering if the turkeys actually really come out okay. Perfect. I have to worry if I'm going to have my dining table in time. <laughs> right. Well, I saw it on the Info Exchange, the WWA forum. Um, looks like, does it have painted legs? Yes, it does. It okay. has a painted base. Okay. And, so- um, you know, they did that because the floor is a laminate. It looks like oak. Gotcha. So I, I laid that down. I figured if I put red oak legs down to the floor would just be too much okay okay so what i did was i painted the base to kind of give a little visual break between the floor and the top gotcha so that's the one thing i was going for and it's a it's a design it's really underused i think that a lot of woodworkers need to start looking into because it's so easy to store 
um, rather than build a typical extension table, what I did built was a draw leaf table. Okay. This is James Bond kind of stuff. Okay. You've got you've got a table with two leaves that pull out the ends. Right. And rather than store, you know, take the table out of the middle and you go store it, you know, somewhere the leaf. Uh, these actually slide out from the ends and they extend a table that distance, you know, double the sure. width of one one leaf. Sure. Um, I've seen it on a lot of European tables and European antiques, but I've never actually seen one for sale in any of the furniture stores around here. Uh, Nicole and I had a, our first dining room table that we got when we got married um, was from Crate and Barrel, I believe, and was that type of table, but was, I mean, we went from apartment to apartment, so it was perfect for that type of thing. Um, but you're sure. right. I mean, no separate leaves. You just uh, lift it up and fold it underneath. Now, you know, when you look at you look at people and they, you know, they they have to you know, like open up space under a bed, yeah, or something like that to right. store a uh, store a leaf. And you know, we don't have that kind of space. You know, we we live in a nice house, but yeah, you know, space is tight. Sure, sure. So tell me so about the the actual mechanism. How did, did was it something that you had to buy like hardware or did you build it? No, this is actually the beauty about this is it's all wood. Nice. It's all wood. There's no you know, like you, in a typical extension table. You need to buy like metal gears or whatever. Right. This is a couple of uh, of of uh, runners that have tapers on them. Okay. And then what happens is the way the table is set up with notches cut in the base at a certain cross rail at a certain depth and things, they actually slide past each other. Oh. Okay. And they ride on these runners. So you pull the leaves out and you've got the extension. It's okay. an all wood situation. So. Nice. It makes it a lot easier than going out and trying to buy a mechanism. Yeah, no kidding. Um, the plan actually came from, I always mispronounce his name. Was it Taj Frid? Uh, something like that. I'm going to have something gonna, like that. He's a Danish I screw names up. Who, so. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a Danish woodworker who passed away a few years ago. Yeah, he was yeah. actually one of the uh, founders of fine woodworking, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. And um, he had a book that was in the library over here where I live, and um, I saw the plans. Okay. And I said, I've got to get a photocopy of this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was it showed how to do it. He's very, you know, elaborate in his description of how it works, but I was going off the drawings, and it actually followed him step by step. Okay. That table works very well. Nice. And, it, uh, you know, and, and I moved it in. Of course, I had help from a neighbor who helped me carry it in. Okay. And um and he's now he wants one. And that's <laughs> the danger of building something. You know, the next thing you know, your neighbors all want one. Yeah, no kidding. Uh I will uh post a picture of this in the show notes so people can kind of follow along with what we're talking about. Um well it looks like you have a red oak uh veneered sheet good and then a frame around it for each piece. Is that Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's um rather that you know, because I know that in the description of the plans and the plans themselves, Tage said you don't want to use regular, you know, solid lumber because of the expansion contraction problem. Sure. Um, so if Tage Fred said, you know, use plywood, I was going to use plywood. Right. No and kidding. Went, yeah. Seriously. Somebody who knows a little bit more than I do. Yeah. Take their advice. Um, yeah, definitely. It always works better that way. <laughs> sure. I try to not take the advice and then I end up regretting it later. <laughs> right. <laughs> but what I did was I found the best sheet I could down at my hardwood supplier. Okay. And, um, they had, they had some good-looking stuff over there. And then, like you said, I just wrapped it with a mitered frame in solid wood. Okay. And um, underneath one of the, each of the leaves, I rattled a little finger pull. Oh, okay. So you can actually reach up and grab it and actually pull it out. Oh, nice. And um, the, what, what really helped was I waxed down those runners really well yeah. before I put the table together. And um, I put a couple of slick strips, some of those UHMW uh, tape strips. Sure, uh-huh. 
under the table, uh, the bottom of the tabletop. Okay. So when you slide the leaves under, it just glides right in. Beautiful. So uh, it was a pretty pretty nice setup there. And, um, you know, I put it in here, and now it looks like uh, we're going to be able to fit everybody around the Thanksgiving table. That's awesome. Now, um, the finish looks really nice from this picture. Um, what what'd you do for the finish? Okay, the finish was uh, – it was it was kind of a modified. I don't know if you've ever read about it or heard about it. The rude and crude method. Some people may know about it. Um, what it started off with was a one pound cut of shellac. Mm-hmm. Of course, after I sanded and, and, and planed and everything, um, a one pound cut of shellac, and I put that on and let it cure overnight. Okay. And then I took some uh, six hundred grit uh, sandpaper, and I just sanded the heck out of it. Okay. And by doing that, it actually works as a sanding sealer. Sure. And we dust it off completely. It's a very smooth top. Yeah, definitely. And then I used water locks, okay. which is the first time I've ever used the product. And um, and I put on five coats. And okay. I actually toned, I actually tinted the um, a couple of the coats. Oh, no kidding. With some red oak stain to kind of darken it up a little bit. Nice. And um, finished up with paste wax. Okay. Just and waxed the heck out of it. You no, know, really got great. it down nice and buffed it on with um, some uh, four-odd steel wool. Okay. And it really came out looking nice. No, it looks fantastic. Now, the question I have for you, when you uh, put the leaves under the, the centerpiece, do you have any contact there? Is there friction well, there? That's well, what, what, that's what I use the uh, slick strips for. Okay, all right. So actually, when, it, when you slide the leaf underneath, it rides on that slick strip. Okay. Underneath... Yeah, table. Gotcha. So there's no, there's very little friction. Gotcha. So it doesn't. Hopefully mark. that will, uh, you know, keep the uh, table, the uh, the stuff from being uh, rubbed off. Nice. Okay. And the la- the last question, I feel like I'm quizzing you here. Um, well, that's okay. <laughs> the I last like question. Quick. Last question I have. I know for the you. answers to this one. <laughs> yeah, because you actually did it. Um, so you say. Uh, the, the painting. What did you do for that? Was that by brush or did you roll it on? What kind of paint did you use? Okay. What I used was a satin. Um, a satin enamel paint, okay. and I uh, and I used the primer, of course, on the raw. It was poplar, mm-hmm. and um, and so what I did was I used the primer on it, of course, and um, once it dried, I sanded it down with a uh, three twenty grit paper. Okay, so it got really nice and smooth, and brushed the whole thing off, blew it off with the air gun with the compressor, mm-hmm. and then I brushed it on and used a foam rubber roller. Okay, believe it or not, to follow it to roll out all the uh, brush marks. Nice. So it actually came out looking almost like it sprayed. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what you want. That looks good. Yeah, so it um, you know, I'm I'm pretty proud of it. I'm actually turning around looking at it right now, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it the right. way it came out. You'll be proud when you're uh, cutting that big fat turkey uh, on Thursday. That'll that'll be a treat for you guys. Very good. Now that reminds me, do I have to take the turkey out of the freezer early? Because of my plan to <laughs> frost it in the dryer. <laughs> there you go. No, I would just put the uh, frozen turkey right in the oven. Okay, then we'll be eating like 36 hours later? <laughs> yeah, no problem, no problem. <laughs> All right, well, um, the other thing that I wanted to to make mention was um, I was in Oklahoma this weekend. What were you doing in the fair state of Oklahoma where the wind comes whipping down the plains? Well, I was looking for a good party, Tom. I was Sweet. looking for a good time. And I found it at the uh, the Tulsa Woodworking Association's uh, club meeting that they had there. It was a little three-day seminar that I did Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and I talked about this on the website before, so everybody should probably know about it, but um, it went really well, and they are a, a great, active uh, group of people who just clearly love woodworking and uh, love talking about it all weekend long, so it was, uh, 
it was great. Some people can beat the topic to death, can't they? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm one of them, you know. So it's uh, it was it was a really good time. It was a nice seminar. Uh, like I said, three days is a lot of. It's a lot of time for me to fill, but uh, you give me enough time, I could just about come up with anything to talk about. So, um, of course, yeah. Nicole and I had a great time, and um, they were just a really great, hospitable bunch of people. And we let, had a. Let a, me ask you, what what primarily were they working? Were they were they primarily turners? Were they building boxes? Were they building cabinets? What, um, what kind of? I would work say did these are. Yeah, these are mostly furniture and small item uh, people. Even though there were some turners, I believe in that area they have their own turning organization. Um, okay. So your turners, I would imagine your dedicated, you know, uh, turning only people are going to be in that other club. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny you say woodworking, and there's so many different aspects of woodworking. Yeah, there are. That, you know, sometimes it actually fragments into these separate communities. Like yeah. Turners like are craft for themselves. Right. And in most areas, too. I mean, I guess if that's what they really want to focus on, that's why they might want to switch. But I think, I don't know, in most areas... A lot of times these woodworking uh, clubs are struggling to stay alive and it's like, well, join up, you know, join forces. If you're if you're, you know, separated, why not come together and make this great meeting? I mean, even most woodworkers, you know, who don't really do much turning are still at least to some degree interested in seeing it or hearing about it. It's um, not just that, Mark. I mean, think about it. You know, say you've never owned a lathe or even wanted to own a lathe. Yeah. And you had no interest in turning, but then suddenly somebody gets up and gives you a great presentation on what they turned. Right. right. Now you might think, gee, this is something I might want to get into. Yeah. It may help you expand, you know, and also even if you don't want to go out and do your own turning, yeah. say you're building a cabinet, you need something turned. No, I you that, know people. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, I, I, I don't really turn for fun very much. I mean, once in a while, but for the most part, I turn by necessity. And it's, it's nice to know that I've got the skill set to do that whenever it's necessary for a project, you know, so mm-hmm. it's, it's an invaluable thing to know how to do. Yeah, I mean, it can help you out. But again, you know, know, me, I don't have space in my shop even for a lathe. Right, right. So, uh, you know, if I wanted to put some sort of turn finial on something or some, uh, uh, some, if I, instead of tapered legs, if I'd wanted to turn legs, I'd be out of luck. Right. But if you're in a club and you know somebody who does it, you've got the resource right there. Definitely. Well, anyway, that that was uh, how I spent my week, and uh, we're actually just recovering now and trying to catch up so that we can get ready for uh, for putting our bird on the table. So, yes, indeed, Absolutely. and that day is coming. It's it? coming very quickly, yeah. Actually, <laughs> so I better go get the cookbook and read how to. Yeah, definitely. Cook if you don't know how thing. to do it by now, <laughs> right. and let me tell you, you cannot use your bandsaw to carve a turkey. <laughs> I'll just tell you from firsthand experience. All right, well then it I'll just bring, doesn't work. How about the recip saw? That seems more. Well, uh, maybe that's a little better. <laughs> getting a little bit closer. But a nice, uh, nice <laughs> yeah, bone chopping portable. Think <laughs> portable, everybody. All right. I have a Dewalt that's uh, battery powered. I think that'll be perfect. Well, you don't have to have tri- people tripping over the cord, which is even better. That's much safer. Absolutely. Of course, you think safety all the time. Wear your safety protection. Your eye gla- <laughs> your safety glasses. Right. Hearing protection. Everything you need. You know it. You know it. All right. I think we can jump into a couple emails. We've got some. Uh, email and voicemail to uh, to get to today. So let's jump right into it. Um, I think you got the first one there, Tom. I sure do. And it says from uh, Steve. And Steve writes, guys, I just listened to episode 22 and I can't call in because I'm at work. Email is less conspicuous. But in honor of crap on Mark Week, I say Mark's soul patch is dumb. JK, <laughs> just kidding. Maybe I'm just jealous because I can't grow a beard, bad jeans. You guys really get going, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, last week was crap on Matt week, and I, I officially announced that this week would be crap on Mark week, and I'm glad to say that this is the only person who t- tried to take a crap on me. 
you know, I, I think I think more people need to answer the call, to I, heed that call, and answer it when it when it's put out there. Maybe the truth, the Tom, question, is that I'm just so good that there's not well, enough you to are, crap on. You are so good. Okay, here's the question, and this is actually right up my alley. I'm looking for hand planes, aren't we all? How do you determine a quality tool from a piece of junk? I've only ever used a $15 black plane, a.k.a. a piece of junk, and oddly enough, I still like using it. I want to go for a little more quality within a really tight budget. Thanks, guys. I need to get back to work. Steve, still woodworking from the back of my Jeep. Nice. It's going to be tough to put a big table saw in the back of a Jeep. Yes, it will. So you want to know, Steve, how to find a good hand plane. Well, I'll tell you what. This is a case where older is better. In my in my estimate, in my estimation, older is better. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that tools that were built, say, before 1950 were the only way that craftspeople had to do this kind of work. You had smoothing planes and dry planes and joiner planes and jack planes. So if you're on a tiny budget, you want to look around. And some places you can look for are flea markets. Um, you can look at garage sales. And, um, and, you know, eBay is a great place, too, because people find things in their, in their, in their basements and they don't know what they are. Yep. So they'll go put them out there for sale and say, well, gee, Grandpa had this, and it's been in a garage for 30 years, and I don't know what it is, but I'm putting it on, putting it out for sale. Um, this, this is one where you can get a real bargain. You can find a real diamond in the rough, as it were. Um, I'll tell you, you know, the, the stuff they built, they built these tools out of, Mark, was just indestructible cast iron. Sure, yeah. These things were built to last forever. Right. And, um, you know, I've got a plane in my shop from 1902 that still cuts beautifully. And, um, and you, I doubt you'll find any saw or, or, or any tool today you could buy that'll last that long mm-hmm. and still perform perfectly. Right. Um, what you want to do is you want to look for ones that were made by companies like Stanley or Record or, um, uh, you know, a, a Union Plane. These, uh, these companies are out there, um, and they, they believe it or not, they're out there, and there's some guides online you can read. Just search for planes, and um, there'll be some guides out there. There's one called uh, the Blood and Gore page, Patrick's Blood and Gore page. And he goes into great detail about the Stanley hand planes, which seemed like everybody had one. I was going to say, isn't that what you're 90% of the time what you're going to confront is a traditional Stanley hand plane covered in rust? You know, yeah, you're going to find that a lot, but you also may find some other ones that are, you know, these other brands right. that um, were just, just as just as good, okay, if not better, actually. I mean, some of them have better features right. that, um, that uh, you know, that you can get your hands on. The other thing I'd recommend you do is buy a replacement iron. Mm. You know, um, the old Stanley irons are great, but chances are if they've been used extensively, um, they're pretty much shot. So what you want to do is, uh, you know, uh, Lee Valley... Uh, Lee Neeson, Hawk, all these companies you do search for the on the internet for them, and they will have replacement irons that are really inexpensive when you think about the quality of the steel you're getting. Yeah, usually and, um, a major difference in uh, thickness and just overall quality of the blade compared oh, to the sure. stock and, blade. You know, just it's not just high carbon steel, which is all they used on the Stanley planes. You've got alloys like A1 and O2 steel um, that can take a wicked edge, right? And um, and really just keep it for a long time. So you're going to be better off going with one of these, um, one of these replacement irons. And, uh, you know, you work, you tune it, you play with it. You, there's different books out there, lots of internet sites. And 
you'd be surprised what kind of a bargain you can you can find out there. Sure, sure. Well, that's good advice. I, mean, I don't I don't have much to uh, to add since I don't really you know I've uh, tuned a plane or two and rescued one from a you know a yard sale here and there, but I don't really uh, do that too much to to offer some good advice. So I'm glad you're here, Tom. Well, I, well, I will tell I will tell you you know the kind of planes you want to look for. You know, you want to have a block plane, a really good block plane. A low angle one is better than a regular angle. One. Right, you can tell yeah. by have a have an iron is set. Sure. Um, you get a smooth plane, which is typically number four in the Stanley numbering process, a jack plane, number five, and a, and a joiner, which is a number seven. Right. With those four planes, you've got about 98% of your planing needs met. And, uh, you know, I bet if you went to a garage sale or a flea market or whatever, you can get those for under 100 bucks. Sure, yeah. And that includes the replacement irons. You know, you add on the cost of the replacement iron. So sure. you could be looking at a pretty reasonable deal. Right. Yeah. You compare that to, you know, a brand new Veritas or, you know, Lee Nielsen setup, you know, you're going to save a yeah, ton it, of dough. That could run into some big bucks. I mean, that's the other option you've got is to find a quality manufacturer today. And unfortunately, Stanley has let the quality slip because everybody's using um, uh, uh, power tools. Sure. To do that work, joiners and thickness planers. Um, and then you're going to be going to these high-end Lee Neeson Veritas planes. I have a Veritas joiner plane, and it is a beautiful piece of equipment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful piece of steel, and it handles like a Ferrari, but the price might be a little steep for somebody getting into it. Sure, sure. All right, our next voicemail comes from Zach. He writes, I've been working all weekend in the shop, and I really wanted to share some of my joy on the hand tools that I've been using on my project. First, yeah, it's another galoot. I was going to say we've got a hand tool theme coming here today. Uh, first I like is the way, uh, I like the way it's starting off. <laughs> right, first is the good old block plane. I love that thing, but the one that I wanted uh, to talk about was the small router plane that I got to try out for the first time. I had some dados and rabbits that I cut for joinery on the shop cabinet that I'm building, and this little tool is absolutely life saving for me. I have one of those Ryobi BT3100 table saws, and it's a very mm-hmm. sad machine. Tom, don't you oh, have one? Oh. It, it, it's horrible to hear that somebody has a sad machine. Maybe you could do something and throw a party and make it happier. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, he <laughs> says, every task that I use it for, it seems that I have to invent some ridiculous jig to get simple tasks accomplished. Well, these dados and rabbits were no different. The little router plane does wonders to clean up those grooves and get them absolutely flat and to make minor corrections in depth. So if anybody has similar problems, I would recommend this tool to anyone. I have a Lee Nielsen model. Uh, Lee Valley has a similar one, and there are old Stanleys available on eBay and such. This sounds familiar. It uh, does. I hear a theme. Yeah, they really aren't that expensive, simple to use, and very effective. Even with the excellent equipment, I think the dados and rabbits made on a table saw will probably have some cleanup to do for perfect fits. I'm really starting to love the hand tools due to the ease and setup and lack of dust. Thought that I would share. Maybe this is an old idea for many others out there, but it's new to me and it's awesome. Thanks, guys. Zach. Now, Sweet. I, you know what? I've seen those used and I'm actually starting to think, damn, this is one of those things I really should have in my, my very small but very special hand tool collection. You know, it, it, it's, it's not that, you know, it's an old-fashioned way. You know, I think the last time I was on, I was talking about, you know, bringing your stuff down to the, to the bringing your laundry down to the river and beating it against the rock. Yeah, it's not like that going back in time, but you know you have to understand when these planes were invented by you know the folks at Stanley and these other companies, um, they needed to be as efficient as possible when they when when the craftspeople sat down to do their work. Right. So these things are just awesome to use. Sure. 
And, uh, you know, I mean, something like a router plane, you know, you think to yourself, I'll never, I'll never need that. But wow, you know, you can really get a lot of use out of it. Well, let me tell you. The, the, that a, go ahead. I'm sorry. And I noticed that some of the, uh, like for instance, Veritas brought back uh, the plow plane. Yeah. They just introduced that in their yeah, catalog. Just year. saw that. Well, and the other thing is I find, just like uh, Zach mentioned, a lot of times with these tools, you know, even with a rabbiting plane that I have um, as a power tool user, it's something that that is an accessory to the power tools because how many times do you run a big piece of plywood over the saw you run it over the, uh, the the dado specifically, and you may not get enough pressure or maybe the plywood's a little bit warped. So you actually wind up in the middle of that panel. You wind up having the board raise up a little bit and the depth sure, of your... hump in the middle of it, sure. Yeah, and the depth of your dado is shot at that point. So how do you clean that up, you know? And you don't want to do multiple passes because you might widen the dado a little bit. So you just mm-hmm. kind of go, well, I guess I'll just have to live with it. And meanwhile, your cabinet becomes warped because of it. So one of these yeah. things is, is great to just guarantee the flatness of uh, the flatness and the, the, the a consistent depth across your, your rabbits and your dados. You know, another thing I do with um, these things is, you know, sometimes I, I, I when I'm adjusting, if I'm trying to make a test cut or something and it's coming out just, you know, I can't really get the exact depth, yeah. uh, for instance, of a, of a rabbit. What I'll do is I'll leave it shy and mm-hmm. then I'll actually get my shoulder plane out and just plane it down to where I need it. Oh, perfect. And by a pass at a time, you know, I could fit, pass at a time, fit. I'm cutting very small amounts off and it gets perfect. Right. I can't do that routinely Mm -hmm. as much as I try with it. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Dado blade. So <laughs> right. this is the kind of thing where it makes a little more, a little more control at the end. Sure. No, that makes perfect sense. Oh, that's the first time anybody's ever told me that in my life. <laughs> I won't make a habit of it, I promise. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. We got a, what do we got? Another comment here, I think. All right. The next one comes from John. And John says, I listened to Daryl's question regarding design standard references in episode 22, and I thought I would add another. When I took Graham Blackburn's design class at the Mark Adams School of Woodworking, he introduced us to Architectural Graphic Standards published by the American Institute of Architects. For a furniture designer, this is an awesome resource. Not only does it give the same information found on the Woodbin website, dimensions for typical furniture types, but it also provides things like dimensions of the human figure and instructions on for drawing shapes like ellipses, ellipses or volutes, just to name a few. Hmm. That's a new one on me. What the hell's a volute? I don't know. We'll Isn't that what out. you put in your turkey? <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, I, I, I thought that was it. <laughs> now this can be an expensive tome. This is this. John's really got a good vocabulary tonight. Yeah, yes, he does. 
This can be an expensive tome to purchase new, so either visit your local library or purchase an older copy from a good, good used bookstore. I think I paid $7 for mine. Hmm. Well, you know, a, re- a reference like that is really handy to have around. Definitely. And I'll just go back to the table I built. Um, you know, there, there are guidebooks out there that talk about the size things should be. How high should a chair be? Right. Um, how high should a dining room table be? Mm-hmm. And if you start freelancing and say, well, you want to build it much shorter or much taller, it's not really going to be comfortable to sit at and eat. Yeah. So I guess it's not a bad reference to have for any woodworker. You get an idea of what it is you need to build for. Right. And of no- course, these are averages. So if you're in a family full of uh, NBA basketball players, <laughs> you, want to put it up a little you bit. might want to raise some of these things. And <laughs> right. Of course, you know. If you're height challenged, uh, you might want to shrink them down a little bit. Sure, yeah, but and I will. you fall uh, within those standards. Well, I'll put. I'll definitely put the link to that in in the show notes so people have it. It's Architectural Graphic Standards by what is it? The American Institute of Architects. Architects. You no, know, um, it was a reference book written by. Oh boy, what's his name? Um, you know, shoot, it's one of those woodworkers out there. There's a bunch of these books out there that have these references in them. Hmm, okay. And, you know, just go to your library and just start taking a look through these things. And by golly, you're going to find a bunch of them. And a very good thing to have around the house. Right. Before you start your next project, you want to make sure you know how tall to make that chair or sure. a bar top or whatever. Right. Well, it sure beats going to the furniture store with a tape measure like I usually do. So you can get kicked out of a, a store doing that, by the way. <laughs> can you? You know, I, I've, I, I'm living proof. You can get kicked <laughs> out of a store doing that. Well, I'll keep that in mind next time I have to do it. Um, well, unless your name is Norm Abram, you know, you're really going to have trouble getting into a store like that. So mind if I take some uh, measurements and drawings and some pictures and I'll build one at home. Yeah. No, you won't be buying this one. Right. All right. Moving on to uh, our next comment we have from Rudy. Uh, he says, Rudy, Rudy, he says, enjoyed your last show. Uh, one of the topics you talked about was environmentally friendly finishes. And I'm going to cruise through this. He recommends using tried and true wood finishes. Uh, he says it was a, uh, tradition. Well, he said they make a traditional, uh, finish of Danish oil and beeswax, a Danish oil, which is, uh, polymerized linseed oil, a varnish, which is polymerized, uh, polymerized linseed oil with a natural resin varnish. They claim that they're using 18th century varnishing techniques using only natural materials and zero volatile compounds, which is great, okay. uh, and no heavy metal dryers. And they even say That's that you good. can uh, you can even use it on cutting boards. So uh, he recommends checking out triedandtruewoodfinish.com. Um, and I've heard about the finish. It is uh, supposed to be some pretty good stuff and uh, sounds like it's at least worth checking out. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Now he says a second topic was wood movement. Uh, there was a good article in Fine Woodworking a while ago with a map showing changes in relative humidity in different parts of the country and a formula calculating wood movement for various species of wood. I put the formulas into a spreadsheet and scanned a map into the same spreadsheet. Now, if you open the spreadsheet, you can look at the map, put in the change in humidity for your part of the country, and the spreadsheet will calculate wood movement for a 12-inch wide board, both quarter sawn and flat sawn wood. And he attached a copy of the spreadsheet for me. So I'm actually going to put that spreadsheet uh, in the, the show notes so you guys can download it. And I played with it for a little bit. It looks awesome. It looks like a really good solution for figuring out uh, the question of wood movement. Um, and it's in an Excel spreadsheet, so you can't beat that. But uh, feel free to download that. You know, Rudy, I, I've got to thank you very much because sometimes this wood movement becomes uh, almost some sort of voodoo when people start to talk about it. And you think <laughs> to yourself, you know, how am I going to know tangential expansion of a piece of uh, red oak yeah the difference between florida and phoenix 
Right. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it seems so esoteric, you know, okay, I'm going to cut some boards. I'm going to put something together. What do I really need to know about this stuff? And actually knowing what exactly is going to happen really can help when you're building a piece. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, stuff like that, because I know your environment, Mark, and mine are completely different. Yeah, yeah. Well, and worse yet, yeah. worse when when you take something from my environment and then you put it into yours, you know, then all of a sudden it's just a whole mess of problems that we have to plan for. Yeah, if you were to, if you were to say move over to you know if you were to move next door, the house is for sale, and uh, set up your shop in my neighbor's house, right. you know anything you built before is really going to take a beating. Yeah, of course, yeah, definitely. And uh, same thing, vice versa. If I decide to you know truck out the Phoenix, so um, knowing how the wood is going to react is really gonna, is half the battle. Yeah, well, definitely down. Just knowing these. how to compensate from that. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, believe it or not, we've got a couple of voicemails. It's kind of my favorite part of the show. I love when Ooh, this when, is great. I love when other people get to talk. It's great. Uh, it gives our, us a little chance to, you know, relax for a minute, you know, try to think about stuff. Just yeah, relax the brain and get ready for the question that's coming. And it's, uh, let's see, we've got one here from Alan in Ohio, and he's got a question about his table saw binding. Hi, guys. This is Alan in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I have got a table, excuse me, a table saw question for you. Uh, I have a rigid contractor saw, and it's done a great job for me so far. Um, over the past couple of weeks, I've been in between projects, and I did a major shop cleanup. And part of that was giving my table saw surface good cleaning and also taking out and cleaning the table saw. Especially the first time the blade has been removed since I got the saw. It was actually pre-installed when I put the saw together. So I got everything cleaned up and reinstalled correctly, I think. And this weekend, I was using the saw just to cut down some quarter-inch MDF to make templates for the next project I'm doing. Partway through cutting the MDF, the blade bound up and stalled on me. Um, so here's what I'm trying to figure out. Well, the saw's not the most powerful one available. It's, it's only a horse and a half, but I've cut eight-quarter walnut before without any problems. So I'm thinking it, it shouldn't be balking a quarter-inch MDF. The only things I can think of is that either I was putting so much pressure against the side of the MDF to keep it tight to the fence that somehow I managed to deflect the blade enough to pinch things and bind it up, which doesn't seem too likely to me, or that I didn't get the nut tight enough so that when I reinstalled the blade and it was spinning on the arbor when I met resistance, which again doesn't seem real likely. Um, the saw's done great up to this point, and the only thing I've changed recently is taking off and cleaning that blade. So uh, any ideas or suggestions you guys have would be greatly appreciated. And sorry about the background noise. I'm leaving this message in the lobby of my office. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Well, you know, if if he's binding up, uh, first of all, one and a half horses on quarter inch MDF should be a hot knife through butter. Um, it should. Yeah, I've I've done that on my. I believe it or not, I have a rigid table saw too, and it's a horse and a half. And um, uh, there's nothing you know a quarter inch is going to ever do to bind up. Right. Yeah. Um, that's what I was thinking. I'll, yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking that you know perhaps maybe. Either uh, somehow the, uh, the the rip fence might have gotten you know out of whack mm-hmm. during the cleaning or something. Um, you know maybe maybe something's loose with the trunnion. Sure. There's that micro the, the rigid saw has a micro adjust rather than loosening the whole trunnion. They have a little micro adjust that allows you to fine tune the alignment. Okay. So maybe that got knocked into or uh, or uh, or knocked out of whack somehow sure. during the cleaning. Sure. Sure. Um, well, wow. if, you, if you take it to a worst case scenario, if he's tightened that arbor nut all the way down and he's absolutely sure that it's, you know, secure. Also, just I mean, this may sound silly, but check the arbor nut and make sure that there is any specific side that's supposed to be against the blade. 
um, you know, there, that could cause some variance in the amount of pressure it's applying. But that probably sure. probably is not the issue. But if he's sure it's tight and everything is secure, um, what I think he needs to do is get a little spotter, get somebody to come over and, and take a look at the belt. And if this thing is actually binding, you know, so if he can see that the belt stops moving when it binds, I think there's mm-hmm. a problem with the motor. I think the motor is shot. Um, it could be that. But another it, another thing I'm thinking about myself for a second. There's another thing. If the if the uh, splitter sometimes gets misaligned, yeah, it'll actually the board will actually run into the splitter, right? And uh, that may cause trouble. Definitely. Um, so you know that may be something you want to double check the alignment on the splitter. Yeah. Um, you know, it also, I don't, he said it's the original blade, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. He just cleaned yeah, it. So it wouldn't be, wouldn't be that he installed a thin curve, which would make it just about impossible to push that board past the splitter. Okay. Cause it's a full width splitter. Right. Um, well, let's hope yeah, he that's... didn't, uh, soak the blade in uh lubricant of some sort. either. <laughs> you know, so just, <laughs> so just freely slipping through the whole time. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really, there's a lot of little things that you can check and, I don't really think any of none of them that we've even um, you know talked about, and I and I even had a follow up email uh, from him concerning this issue, and from what the stuff he's tested, and and I don't I don't really think to me everything sounds like he really might just have. It's an odd coincidence that the time that he took it apart to clean it, the motor decided to take a crap on him. Um, yeah, it could be certainly worth looking into some warranty service. Hopefully, it's still under warranty. Yeah, and the one thing about the rigid tools is if you bought it before, I believe two thousand and four. And it comes with a lifetime warranty. Oh, sweet! Well, um, and you know anything be after nineteen oh anything after two thousand and four comes with a three year warranty. So if it's uh, if it's something that you're having trouble with, I'd definitely get on the horn to rigid as quickly as possible to make sure that um that they get out there and honor that warranty. If there's a problem with that motor, you definitely want to get that replaced. Right. The other suggestion I have would be to take out the manual and start from the beginning. Yeah, tune, and, um, tune you know, it up like it's brand process. new. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah, seriously, like it just came out of the crate and um and see what could be bothering it. And there you, you might, might hit on the right thing. Yeah, it's like hitting the reset button. So Definitely. And you did keep the manual, didn't you, Alan, <laughs> right? It should be online. That's my excuse all the time. <laughs> yes. I, uh, I just, you know, every so often, believe it or not, Mark, I still pull out the manuals for the tools I own. How dare just you. to reacquaint myself with the features because sometimes you get so used to doing something one way, it's not the right way. Yeah. Then you go back and say, ah, that's why I'm having that problem. Um, I tend to be a little bit more reactive and a little less proactive when it comes to manuals. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but uh, that, that would be my fault. <laughs> People are different us. That's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> all right. So uh, who we got up next here? Uh, looks like Roberto. Roberto? Huh? I think we got one from Roberto. Roberto. I believe Roberto's calling in. All right. Here we go. Hey, guys. How's it going? This is Roberto. I am calling in regards to different kinds of tools. I'm in the market for a table saw, and I've heard you guys talk about Porter Cable, DeWalt, Powermatic, Delta, all the big names. I'm looking for a cabinet saw, and I've never heard you guys talk about the Laguna brand. I just wanted to know why, and if you guys do know more about that, um, you can tell me if it's a good saw or or not. All right? Thanks. Laguna. Laguna. Well, I can Roberto definitely. Uh, Laguna. I can definitely tell you why we don't hear about it much. You know, because it's you and I were discussing this earlier that it's it's kind of that uh, one product being overshadowed by the big brother of the product in, line. In effect, in effect, Laguna's table saws are a victim of the company's success. Yeah. 
um, you've got such a great bandsaw in Laguna that people come to know them as the bandsaw company. Um, the table saws, I'm sure, are rock solid, and I've actually seen them in a few uh, uh, woodworking shows. Um, wow. I mean, the only thing I'd do is think to do would be to search online for uh, you know some of the magazines. Yeah. I know Fine Woodworking and Popular Woodworking and Wood do um, – do head-to-head uh, comparisons, right? With saw, so you may want to do a couple. You know, get your fingers to the walking and Google or another internet search engine. Yeah, that's, and that's see what you can come up it. with. Yeah, and the thing is, I I mean, he's right. Comparative articles that I've read, I haven't really seen much uh, anybody look at the Laguna. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if it's new. I did do do a little bit of digging today, and in fact, I was reading the uh, recent, um, most recent episode of um, what is it, the Fine Woodworking Tools and Shops or whatever uh, issue, and mm-hmm. I saw an ad for the Laguna Platinum series is what they're referring to it, and it's not. If you've seen the Lagunas before, usually I associate them with those big honking like major uh, table saws. Um, yes. but, but the platinum series that they're offering now, they've got one that's, um, in about the 1600 price range cabinets all, yes. and the other one is, uh, like two grand and both are three horsepower, uh, 10 inch table saws. They look more like normal table saws. And I think this might be what he's referring to. So, um, I can't say whether, you know, I didn't dig enough to find out whether this is really new, but it's the first time I've seen it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so again, Laguna tools, they make good stuff. I have no reason to doubt that their table saws are, you know, not that, you know, that they're, uh, any less quality than their band saws. Sure. The, the one, you know, if the band saws any indication and they make yeah. a pretty, pretty mean tool. Yeah. And, but the one, the one thing I would, you know, I don't want to fear monger here, but the, you know, the one thing I would warn about is Laguna does have some issues with customer service. Um, if you read on any forums about their tools and when I had to make my Minimax versus Laguna decision on my bandsaw, that was actually the deciding factor, uh, was that they do have a history of customer service problems. Now that that's not to say that they still have them right at this moment, but, uh, the last time I looked, they did. So I would caution about that. You do, you know, support is very important when you buy these tools. Of course, now you've got quite an investment there in a table saw. I mean, I, I you know, two thousand dollars on a saw is is a pretty substantial amount of chunk of change there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you want to make sure you get some some backup that goes along with it in case you do have an issue. Yep. Um, another suggestion, Roberto, would be to call the company and see if they have the name of anybody to be willing to um, give you their own review. Mm-hmm. Maybe a, a owner who owns one locally. Yeah, that would be good too. To talk to you about it. So that's another way you can go as well. Sure, but you know what? It's one of those companies that. You know, you, just based on their reputation, you sort of develop, and I don't. It may not be a good thing to develop a blind faith, a blind faith in a, a tool company, but this is one of those t- companies. I, I have a hard time imagining them producing crap. Yeah, you know, it it's, seems it's, you know they've got a track record, and and again, you know, they're if they build it half as good as they build their bandsaw. Yeah, you've got a heck of a performer there. Right, I would agree there. All right. Well, we have another uh, voicemail here, our last one from Daryl, and he has an interesting question that I think we may have to, uh, you know, see if anybody else has some input on this one, too. Okay. Hey, Mark, Matt, this is Daryl Cohn in Frankfort, Kentucky. i got a question for you. I was at a Amish woodworking uh, furniture store, and they have some stain that is called OCS, or Ohio Certified Stain. And the purpose of it is is to have um, product that is the same whether you go in today, tomorrow, or the next day. The stain is all certified to be the same texture or the same uh, shade. 
have you guys heard of this or worked with this? And do you think there's any um, market that for this type of stain where you can go back uh, maybe six months to a year and pick out the same stain? It will basically show up just about the same way on a piece of furniture. Just wondered if you guys have worked uh, with this or know anything about it. Thanks. Have a great day. Enjoying the show. Bye-bye. Hmm. So uh, that's kind of interesting. I think it makes sense, right? It, it, it definitely sounds like it makes sense. I know the one I know about the Amish, and I know that uh, my mom lived in actually in Westchester, Pennsylvania. There's a large Amish community there. Yeah. Very, um, very traditional, very down to earth. Yeah. Um, very, very grounded people. Um, I've never heard of Ohio certified stains. Yeah. But I'm sure that if it's if it if it's made to uh, please the Amish community, that it's got to be it's got to be a very um, consistent sturdy product sure sure well i'll tell you what in my opinion it's just another reason why i always say it pays to be amish <laughs> but that's just me I, you know it, it's <laughs> it, it's funny because you get these you get these people who talk about dealing with the amish and very nice people i mean yeah across yeah. the board very nice people so down-to-earth people and um but, the, but, you know, they, they get the best lumber. They have the best peaches. They grow the best. They make the best right, bread. Right. It's, it's I guess, that down-to-earth, you know, salt-of-the-earth kind of folk that um that just, you know, they, they rely on, on, on stuff to be substantial and well-built and well-done. Sure, sure. If that's the case, then by golly, maybe I should be looking for this stuff. Yeah, well, I, I did do a little digging, and it's, I mean, really difficult to find information on this. And, in fact, Nicole uh, had to do some digging. She's a little better at that than I am, but... Um, okay. Yeah, but she did find a little bit of info, and um, this is, you know, it's it's not a lot, but it's just a, a little blurb. It says, certified stains. Uh, the various Amish communities have certified special stains for each different community that are uh, either made themselves or made according to their exacting specifications by others in the Amish community. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says this stain, okay, they're talking about a specific set. So it is apparently an Amish furniture in Amish country. It's a, a pretty common thing, and why not? You know, it makes perfect sense. It's a standardized color system. Could you imagine if we had that? If Minwax and uh, whatever these uh, name another company sure. that makes stains, but an Olympic and everybody sure. Yeah, if everybody had to produce the same colors and we could go by the same palette, well, obviously that would never happen, but. It would make our lives easier as woodworkers. Oh, sure it would. You know, you know, and, and, you know what? Actually, Mark, you know, the more I think about this, the more it makes sense that there wouldn't be a lot of information about it on the web. It's Amish. It's Amish. It, it, it's, these are people who live off the grid. These are people who, um, you know, who, who, who long for that simpler way of life. And right. I don't think you've got an Amish webmaster sitting there touting the product no i don't think so i don't think you'd see that so um, uh, but i think we should start a new uh charity program you know one la- one laptop per amish child see if we can get that going well they, they may they may flat out reject it and, and again it's <laughs> so, that back to uh back to the simpler ways remember the amish mo- in a lot of amish communities they don't allow uh trucks yeah oh yeah or vehicles i uh they're, they're going drawn, so. i spent uh nearly every weekend of my childhood camping um because my parents would drag me out there uh kicking and screaming <laughs> as i'm you know clutching my game boy at the time but we used to go camping in lancaster all the time and okay. uh, just you know that's right smack dab in the middle of amish country and it was it was great i mean they're they're very interesting uh people but obviously uh, you know the the most important thing is that they make fantastic baked goods uh, well that and they have fabulous produce i remember we uh, we went to an amish market in westchester mm-hmm. and um 
And, you know, they, they had a bushel of peaches there, and there was nothing like any peach I'd ever eaten. It must yeah. have been fresh off the tree two minutes ago. Right. And um, just, just very wonderful people. I yeah, mean, no, just, it is amazing. To, to, to be that grounded in your faith, to to reject society, quote-unquote, as a whole, and, and and stick within yourselves. I mean, that's, yeah. that's people who are definitely stuck to their guns. Certainly uh, admirable, that's for sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps up our wonderful, juicy, delicious uh, turkey-filled mm. episode. And um, I wanted to quickly just remind people: this is weird. Matt usually does this. Uh, okay. That we you have, can, you can remind. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that we have our contest going for the uh, wood slicer bandsaw blade, and just make sure you get your email into wto promo at gmail dot com and. Uh, just remember, one time is all you need, and uh, just, you know, one time will cover you. One time, one time will do you. And uh, you know, the other thing is, make sure you get us your emails and voicemails. Um, Tom said it at the top of the show. I'll, I'll repeat it again: woodtalkonline at gmail dot com, or you can leave us a message at six two three two four two two four five zero. And uh, you know, if you got any good Thanksgiving stories, we'll uh, play those on the show too. So feel free to give us a call. You know, you people are the ones who make it work. You know, Mark and I can look at each other like a couple of nudniks after a while, you know, and, you know, how much can we talk about it? What do we know? You know, I don't know. I think we probably guys, could come you guys up. Are the folks who you know, can answer the questions, who can, you know, write in and ask the ones. We do a little research. You never know what we're going to find. You never know. Next week, we'll have some good turkey recipes. So oh, de- definitely. And I'm hoping <laughs> that my Thanksgiving memories don't involve my table falling apart. That would be interesting. You know, let us know how it holds up because uh, a Thanksgiving email. <laughs> Thanksgiving uh, dinner is a torture test for a table. So uh, yes. I'll be interesting to hear the the results. That's great. They normally they normally talk about the groaning table, and it's not because the table <laughs> has bad, you know, upset stomach. Right, right. It's normally loaded down to the gills. So. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be for sure the uh, test when this goes in. So. Sounds good. All right, Tom. <laughs> well, you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and everyone else out there in uh, woodworking land, have a good Thanksgiving, and we'll uh, try and catch you next week. All right, everybody. Remember, it's good to, it's good to sleep off the turkey coma. Yeah, absolutely. So once you have to trip the man, trip the fan high, just go lay down. Don't get behind the wheel. Okay? Lay down and, and watch some football. Without a doubt. <laughs> All right. Take care, Tom. All right, Mr. Mark, you take care, and I'll talk to you later. Adios. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 